Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. Drowning is one of the three top causes of unintentional deaths for people under the age of 29. The CDC reports that African-American children between ages of 5 and 14 are three times as likely to die from drowning than white children. A near-drowning experience led Trish Miller to create Swim Kids. It's a nonprofit that helps kids and their families learn how to swim and be safe in the water. She's speaking at TEDx Atlanta later this week and joins me now in the studio. Trish, welcome. Thank you, Virginia. I'm so glad to be here. Did you swim growing up? I cannot say that I did. I grew up at the oceanfront, though, which is what? That's even that's what makes it so funny is that I grew up at the oceanfront. We never went to the beach. I never I've never even seen my mother in a bathing suit. So that should tell you we were not water people whatsoever. Um, So I actually did not experience water until much later in life. Hmm. So, no, so that's interesting. I mean, I've I've certainly heard a lot of African-American comedians making jokes about, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't swim. We don't we don't swim. Mm -hmm. So was that a thing in your family? Was that something that you shared with other people of your generation? It's absolutely cultural. It's it's one of those things where uh, historical events really contributed to it. And if you really look at the studies and the data that supports that, Jim Crow and segregation actually had a lot to do with black people having access to pools. So it became a situation of where we just didn't have the knowledge to pass down to our children. And it became it's not for us. And it actually resulted in the numbers that we experience today mm-hmm. in terms of drowning rates of mm-hmm. our children. And for you personally, you had a near drowning experience. This was as a teenager. What happened? Yeah, I actually was on spring break with a group of friends. We decided to to go to a beach, not uncommon. Uh, when you're in college and we wanted to go to the swimming pool. It was too cold out to get into the to splash around in the ocean. So we um, went to the pool and my friends, just like most people, when you say that you don't know how to swim, they're going to teach you. It's so easy. All you have to do is. And they spent just a little bit of time teaching me how to swim, uh, teaching me so-called the basics. And I was 19 and did not know any better and felt they with their encouragement Oh, you're ready. You got it. You're good. And I jumped in the deep end, 12 feet of water, felt like I was fine. And I was fine the first time I came up, kind of fine the second time I came up. But then when I couldn't stay up, that's when I panicked. I did not learn how to tread water. And I just I lost it. And so my friends actually had to come and get me because I sank and was drowning. It was the most scariest thing, though, that was decades ago. Never will forget that feeling. Mm. And I never wanted my children or anyone else to experience that just because of lack of resources or just really lack of awareness of how important this is for you to learn as a child. Now, you were 19 years old then. Mm-hmm. Did you did you not go in the water for a long time? Oh, it was. I took a very long break. I took <laughs> a very long break from the water after that. Uh, I'm still friends with, with those uh, group of friends today. And we were just talking about it while I was preparing for this talk. And it really wasn't until my mid to late 30s that I jumped back into the water and said, I'm going to conquer this thing and learn how to swim. So it's never too late uh, to learn how to swim. What we've 
what the data shows us, and, and certainly what I've, I've learned working in public health, is we tend to think about swimming as this recreational thing. So because we feel it's recreational, we don't prioritize it especially as the black community. We don't tend to prioritize it. We prioritize sports. Um, and it is a large generalization that I'm making. But however, on, on a whole, we tend to prioritize sports and other things rather than swimming. We don't we don't see that as something that, well, we can protect our children from it. We'll just keep them from the water. And it's a life-saving skill that we need to learn and we need to make sure that our children learn young. And then as adults, we need to make sure that we know because we, there's a recent movement, though, of people being more aware of those statistics. So they are putting their children into swimming programs maybe once or twice, but then they don't know how to swim. So if their children ever get into trouble, right. they're not breeding strong swimmers. Mm-hmm. So if their children get into trouble in the water, they can't save them. And so it still becomes an issue of a drowning risk for their families because the full family doesn't have that knowledge and life-saving skill that's needed to protect them. And this is why you started Swim Kids. Tell me tell me how that happened. How yeah. did that evolve that you realized like something you, you needed to do? Yeah, thank you so much for asking about that. Swim Kids is a school-based program. It's designed after models in other states. So Minnesota and Virginia, for example, are states that uh, make it a priority for children to learn while they're in the school system. It's a part of the school's curriculum. So it's one less thing that parents have to do either in evenings or on the weekends. And the children learn those introductory water safety and swimming skills during the school day. And then the parents can elect to continue them on. And they can then and also, they, those schools typically have access to a pool where the children can continue in camps and things like that. So they, they not only are introduced, they become proficient swimmers. Mm-hmm. Swim Kids takes a similar model and similar approach where we work with elementary and middle school students to introduce students, to introduce them to introductory lessons. But then we take a holistic approach with the family and allow the family to also be able to take lessons, whether it's on site at their homes and their at their their home pools um, or at our pools where we actually offer the lessons for the family. Okay, so do a lot of schools in Georgia have pools or access to pools? So there are tons of pools in Georgia. Um, They just need to be used. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) So, you mean you're even using like family pools, people's home pools for this kind of thing? Absolutely. So our pilot, though, is with with a middle school that has a pool on site, which is almost unheard of. Um, And we are employing a model where this particular middle school will serve as a hub for the elementary schools that are within its cluster so that we can ensure that at least those elementary schools and students will be introduced to swimming before they get to the middle school program. And then they will continue on once they're at middle school. Okay, so you're talking about working with school systems, individual (laughs) schools, insurance. I mean, how did you do this? So I am Wonder Woman, Virginia. Did you <laughs> Clearly. Not, did you not recognize that? I no. didn't see the outfits <laughs> under your nice professional sweater. And <laughs> I'm not doing it alone by any stretch. Um, I, I have a great team of certified swimmers that are very familiar with uh, timid, Young swimmers, children, families, uh, they uh, are African-American trainers. Um, and so we've also recognize that typically there's a trust factor that we have to acknowledge and we have to say up front that makes it easier for people to learn how to swim in something that's so scary. Water is scary for Mm -hmm. many people. And so you have to be able to trust that person. And many times you trust the person that kind of looks like you. That's 
just what we've noticed. So our trainers are certified. They go to these schools. Um, we actually pilot in, in the spring with these two schools. And we will just offer these lessons and hopefully change and turn around this statistic of drowning in, the, in our state. Yeah, let's look at those statistics for drowning mm-hmm. in the state. So first of all, overall, 2017, Georgia was fifth in the nation for children drowning Absolutely. in pools. This is the com- Consumer Product Safety Commission came up with those numbers. What is it specific to Georgia, you think, that makes it so high? Yeah, I, I, the only thing that that I can attribute it to is just the lack of awareness. We, we just don't have the knowledge. And we, we that number is actually second um, to, well, in, in terms of child drownings in Georgia, it's second only to Florida, mm-hmm. um, which is at an oceanfront. So the only thing I can attribute it to is just the lack of awareness and that we need to expose our children young, which is why these school-based programs are so essential to teach them before they get the fear, before um, before those kind of things come up to them, where they just they they become like a fish. <laughs> they just become very used to that type of environment and they can then influence and change those pictures for their their families too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the family thing is really interesting to me because you know it's a, like you said you can teach kids yeah. almost anything, but once somebody has been enculturated all their mm-hmm. life to be fearful of water, how mm-hmm. do you, how do you get over that hoop? And you know, there's the embarrassment of I'm an adult and I don't know how to swim. There's all of that, Virginia. You hit it right on the head. What what has been helpful for us is recently there have been celebrities that have come forth saying that they in their 40s are learning how to swim and they have acknowledged how important it is in that it really is something that you need to learn no matter what age. And especially if you have children, that it's something that you need to prioritize. So dealing with that embarrassment is one thing, but knowing how it affects the drowning rates is another. You gave some statistics, but one more I want to just really make sure we we hear is that black middle school students actually drown at a rate 10 times that of whites. Oh, my goodness. So, so. that's that's your 11 and 12 year olds primarily drown 10 times. And and again, that has everything to do with awareness and access to pools. It's not cost. Um, cost typically is a factor. But in terms of sports and other things that, that we pay for, swimming lessons pale in, in the cost factor. So it really is prioritization and, and awareness. Trish Miller is with me. She's the founder of Swim Kids, which is teaching kids and their families about water safety, trying to make a dent in the pretty dismal statistics about mm-hmm. how many kids drown, as we just heard. 11 to 12-year-olds, uh, especially at these ages, blacks drown in swimming pools 10 times the rate of whites. Well, is it swimming pools primarily where people drown rather than in lakes? I mean, you think if you grow up in the country, maybe, or well, you've just... Yes, I grew up just, in the country. <laughs> you just completely <laughs> countered that. You know, because for me, you know, it was like a rite of passage. You learn yeah. how to swim when you're a little kid. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that obviously didn't happen. I'm, you know, a white woman from New England. We right. had a place by the lake kind mm-hmm. of thing. So there is, you know, how did, so, so obviously class, yep. race play into this because I'm also looking for, you know, among uh, Hispanic kids, mm-hmm. Latinx, mm-hmm. Um, uh, Native Americans, Alaska Natives, twice the rate for whites. I just, I, this is my own cluelessness, never mm-hmm. thought that swimming is just a white thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it really is. I, I want to add one more dynamic that we 
don't really talk about um, in terms of black females and them learning how to swim. So there's another obstacle, especially with younger black girls, and that is hair. Oh, right. And we typically have thick, curly hair that we don't want to style every day in that way. So in terms of if if it gets wet, it takes time to to fix it back up. So I've had so many mothers and children that would come to me and say, you know, and I actually experienced it myself. My daughter, who is a great swimmer, wanted to be on her school swim team. It's a great activity for her. But I had to tell her no, because I could not keep up with maintaining her Mm -hmm. hair. Mm -hmm. It was a very real thing that if she got in the pool earlier that day, what was she going to do for the rest of the day? It wasn't a situation where she could just put it in a ponytail or she could just rinse it in the swimming pool. I mean, it's in the shower or something like that. It was a real consideration. And the currently designed swimming caps are not designed for the volume of hair that that thick curly hair typically is, nor is it designed to keep the hair dry. And since it doesn't work to keep the hair dry, it actually prohibits or is is one of the prohibitors to a lot of black females, especially getting in the water. Okay, so another aspect of white default or <laughs> white privilege that, you know, indeed. don't think about that kind of thing. Yeah, so indeed. great op- business opportunity for somebody to do swimming caps for, <laughs> for young black women. Absolutely. And fortunately, I'm actually in a fellowship that is supporting my business in creating and developing that first waterproof swimming cap. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you talked a little bit about what you're doing inside of schools, mm-hmm. right? Working uh, in the pilot program in Atlanta Public Schools. Mm-hmm. How have school administrators responded to this? Oh, they have been thrilled. Um, I, they have they have just been absolutely thrilled because they don't have the resources and. Even one of the schools that has a pool on site doesn't have the resource to make sure that the children are actually learning. And as a result, it doesn't get used very much. Mm -hmm. Beautiful Olympic sized pool that most of the children don't know how to swim. So they're not using it. Not at the rate that you would think that they would. So they're not able to have a very robust swimming program or, or a swim team or, or something like that just because the children don't have the knowledge. So when, when many of most, I've not approached one school that has said, no, this is not a priority for us. The drowning rates speak. And you can't deny, um, especially schools that are are within our our metro area and our our inner city area or more urban areas who are predominantly black, we can't deny what those rates are and that we each play an important part in making sure that we change that. And if the way to change that is to introduce them to the water and give them the skills that they need— we got to do that. It's it's very, very common and similar to anything else that we would give our children skills to do. We, we teach them to put their seatbelts on. We teach them to put on pads when they go outside in helmets. We want to protect them. This is one more way we can protect them. So how, where do you see this going? Um, you have an MBA, is that correct? I do, and an MPH. And, and in public health. Is this mm-hmm. your, is, do you have a day job now or is this what you're doing? This is it, Swim Kids. I also have a day job um, where I work in public health with so the CDC Foundation. So you are Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to save the world and work at the same time. Um, I love this mission. I love this mission and would love for this to to be something that we can focus on full time. Mm-hmm. Um And the more schools that we get involved, the more support that we get from our communities and our leadership, 
that will be a reality. We have a goal of, of reaching next academic year, 500 to 1,000 children. And we can't do that without the support. I want them to hear that they need to pay attention and they need to prioritize it. So it's not enough to say, oh, poor little black kids. It's, we need to prioritize it. This is, this is a public health crisis that is not something that we see or hear about very often. And, and even when you were reading those statistics, and I believe a lot of those were even shocking to you because mm. it's not something that's widely publicized. And we tend to think about swimming as something that we do in the summertime. So summer comes around and now we want to give our kids lessons. Well, it's kind of too late then. So they're already exposed to the water. They're exposed to parties and splash parks with their friends. Really, we have to teach them Unfortunately, in the wintertime when it's cold, um, that's when we really should be introducing them to water fall and, and wintertime to get them ready for the summer. Trish Miller, what a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. On Second Thought is produced by Amelia Brock, Leighton Rowell, and the Raven Taylor. Jesse Neiswanger is our engineer. Don Smith, our dean of grammar. Amy Kylie is senior producer. Sarah Shariari is managing editor of news for GBB. Our interns are Allison Krausman and Jake Troyer. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Virginia Prescott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.